Thanks, April. So if you can uh, have your Bibles open to Jonah chapter 1. It is in the minor prophet section at the back of the Old Testament. It's a slightly difficult find because it's a short book, uh, but it's after Obadiah, and let's see, right before Micah. Yep, so after Obadiah, right before Micah. If you can open it up there, we'll go through the text together. And let's pray. That is, we open it up, that God will speak to us. Lord, we give you great thanks once again that you are a speaking God, and we thank you that in your word is a, a we, um, in your word is life, and we pray that your word will be spoken to us, um, and the words will fall into fertile hearts, that we uh, may receive it with great joy and uh, and meditate on it and chew on it, and we pray that your words will be uh, rooted deeply uh, in our lives, uh, that we may bear fruit for you. We pray that you will speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it may surprise some of you that actually Jonah is a historical person and Jonah is set in history. We're told in verse 1 that the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And he's, of course, mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14. We find out there that Jonah prophesied at the time of King Jeroboam II when the Assyrian Empire was threatening Israel's existence. In fact, it had been doing so for a really, really long time. And despite the fact that Jeroboam II was a wicked king, for the first time in history, Israel at this time is fighting back. In fact, it's taking over some of the land that Assyria, Assyrian Empire had taken over. So with uh, under Jeroboam II, uh, Israel actually takes back Damascus, or takes Damascus, one of the major Assyrian cities. So we can understand why Jonah would have wanted to run away and not listen to God, as we're told in verse 3. God was asking him now to go to the capital city of Assyria, the empire, the enemy, the, 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 the country against which uh, Israel was at war. Not only that, he's not bringing a message of happy message of hope there. Look at what God says in verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come about before me. Can you imagine going to the capital city of this gigantic empire and going, you're all wicked and God is going to bring judgment on you. My God, God of Israel, is going to bring judgment upon you. So, but Jonah is a prophet still. Yahweh's word came to him as it did to many, many prophets before. And after, he knows and understands himself as such. And actually, I think this is, uh, verse 9 is really the key to understanding this text and understanding of what, uh, who Jonah is and, and what this uh, text is all about. So take a look at verse 9. It says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heavens who made the sea and the dry land. When he's asked, who are you? From where are you, uh, from where do you come from? He says, I am a Hebrew. And uh, he, a member of God's chosen family, he says he worships Yahweh, God, God of heavens, who made the earth and the seas. And ESV tra- translates that word worship as fear, which, because that's actually uh, more um, uh, 
more correct. That's the, that's the Hebrew word. He fears Yahweh. And that's good theology. He understands himself as, he understands himself, he understands who God is. He's a card-carrying member of God's family. This is why I think it's almost comical how he does everything that he's not supposed to do. He, in fact, does everything that's opposite of what he's supposed to do. Look at all the ways that he willfully disobeys God. God says, go. In fact, it's more, uh, literally, it's arise, go up in verse 2. But look at what he does in verse 3. He runs away from Yahweh. He's told to go to Nineveh, but he goes down. That's the opposite of going up, right? Arise. No, no. he goes down to Joppa to take a boat to Tarshish. And I think the map of that will come up, which is in the opposite side of the Mediterranean world. It is. He, he's told to go to north uh, east, and he goes west as far as uh, as as uh, in the known world. So Tarshish uh, is at this in Spain. His disobedience doesn't just end there. You see how everyone else in this ship does exactly what they're supposed to, except Jonah. When the skies darken and this violent storm comes over, the sailors are afraid. They are fearful and they cry out to their own gods in verse 5. And remember once again how he said it just now in verse 9 that he fears God. But look how unafraid Jonah is in this text. He's undisturbed. When everybody else is crying out to their own gods, he's sleeping. He's the one person whose prayer can actually make a difference because he will be praying to the living God, God who brought this storm um, to the sea, but he's sleeping. The captain of this ship is so astonished in verse 6. He says, how can you be, a, uh, how can you be sleeping? Call on your God. He says, this Gentile captain tells this prophet of Yahweh, go and pray. But he doesn't. How can this be, you might ask? And I mean, there's something not quite right here. The thing is, he understands Yahweh, God. He understands, but he does not fear him. Remember the fear once again, in verse 9, he doesn't fear him at all. He doesn't even seem to fear death, meeting God face to face. When he's found out later in verse 11 that he's the cause, he says in verse 12, well, pick me up and throw me over the sea and you'll be calm. He doesn't seem to be afraid of death. He doesn't even seem to be afraid of meeting God face to face. And still, he does not repent and he does not pray. Nowhere in chapter 1 does he pray. Nowhere does he turn to God and says, God, forgive me. But the sailors play uh, this, this foil. Um, look how terrified the sailors are. When Jonah told them that he's God, his God, Yahweh of heavens, created the dry land and the sea, they immediately understand what this means. They, they immediately understand that they cannot escape this God. So they're terrified, we're told in verse 10. They understand the implications of having this God in that world. And just think of the silliness of what Jonah is trying to do. He just said that God created the heavens and the earth and the dry land, I mean, and the sea, but he's trying to escape from God. We might be tempted to think that Jonah is this incredibly silly person. 
who is unlike us at all, but really, he's a picture of many, many of us, all of us. I am a Hebrew, he said. I fear God, he said. And many of us would say the same thing. Well, similar thing. We would say, well, I am a Christian. I worship God, Jesus Christ. I fear this God. But is there such a fear in us? It's true that there is an unhealthy fear of God that the Bible speaks of. And John tells us in First John that the perfect love drives out all fear. And there is certainly this constant fear of God's judgment combined with our sinful nature that's not healthy, that will drive us away from God. But the scripture also tells us that the, the fear is beginning of wisdom. That in fact, whenever people encounter God or God-like people like angels, they fear God. They fear. We're told when Jesus calmed the sea, do you remember how the disciples reacted? They are terrified. They turn to each other and they go, well, who is this? Even the, 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 the sea and the uh, winds and the, the, the sea obey him. And that kind of fear is good because that kind of fear is awareness of the awesomeness of God, awareness of his power, awareness of his holiness, awareness, sense of his otherworldliness, that he is different from us, that he could kill us if he wanted to right away. And such fear helps us to take God seriously. In J.R. Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring, the very beginning, um, Bilbo Baggins has to leave this, uh, the, the, the ring, the ring behind. And Gandalf visits Bilbo, um, and they have this conversation. And Gandalf is a friendly wizard, especially to um, Bilbo, because they've known each other for a long time. And Bilbo, at first, says he will leave the ring behind. But as he thinks about leaving it, he has second thoughts. He looks at the ring, and his desire for it grows and grows. He wants it. He calls the ring, at one point, precious. And he clutches the ring. And I think in the movie, it did a really good job of how uh, Gandalf reacts to him. Gandalf, then uh, the, the surrounding, uh, as he's standing, the surrounding becomes dark. And actually, he becomes, he grows bigger and bigger and bigger uh, until Bilbo is just dwarfed by him. And the winds starts uh, swirling around him. And he shouts out, Bilbo Baggins, do not think me of some conjurer of cheap tricks. I am not trying to rob you, but I'm trying to help you. And in that moment, Bilbo realizes who Gandalf is, and he fears him. And it helps Bilbo to leave the ring behind. That's all we must remember. God is awesome. Awesome. And we must never mistake him for a conjurer of cheap tricks or a cuddly grandpa. He is our friend, but he remains this magnificent, awesome, powerful, holy God who deserves our worship, who deserves to be taken seriously. And that should drive us, drive us to holiness. That should drive us to take God and our faith seriously. And I think we've been challenged a hundred times and it seems never enough. Do we fear God and does that show in our life? Do we take God seriously, not just today when you're here on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday? Is there a difference between you and your non-Christian colleagues? Would they be surprised? If you said, I'm a Christian, would they go, 
Whoa, really? Do our lives show that we live and worship, we live for and worship and fear God? That we don't live for our reputation or money or comfort or whatever? That there, are there areas of our lives that we haven't given over to Jesus Christ, to the authority of Christ? Do we live for ourselves or do we live for Christ? Jonah was a hypocrite. And this is what chapter 1 shows. He said, he professed with his mouth that he fears God, that he worships God. But his actions show otherwise. And in chapter 1, he does not convert. But there are truly converted people in chapter 1, in Jonah 1. And surprisingly, it's the sailors. It's the sailors. In the beginning of the story, it's very clear that they have no idea who Yahweh God is, right? They are now what we, would, we might call polytheists. They believe that there are many, many different gods who maybe worship, uh, who rule over sections of the, uh, of the world. So when the storms arise, they cry out to their own gods in verse 5. But th- when that wasn't working, they uh, asked Jonah to cry out to his god. And then they seem genuinely afraid, especially when they find out who Jonah worships. Jonah worships Yahweh God, God of heaven, he says, and he created the sea and the dry land. And look how they react in verse 10. They're immediately afraid. They are terrified. And they ask, what have you done? They get a little taste of who this God is. And in so many ways, they seem better than Jonah. They act better than Jonah, uh, don't they? Although Jonah never prays in this chapter, sailors constantly pray, at first to their own gods, but later in the story, Yahweh to Yahweh God. They're also compassionate people. Remember how Jonah didn't seem to care at all, right? It's his fault that the storms are rising, that the lives of all these people are at risk, but he's sleeping. But later on, they roll the the, the lot and they find out it's Jonah's fault, and Jonah is found out. And he says in verse 12 that, throw me overboard, it'll be fine. But then, that's not what they do, right? Look at verse 3, verse 13. It says, instead, the men did their best to, to, to row back to the land. They try their best to save Jonah. They're concerned for him. And they pray to Yahweh God when they have to throw Jonah overboard. They seem to fear God. And when they throw Jonah overboard, once again, look how they respond in verse 16. At this, men greatly feared Yahweh. In fact, verse 16 is uh, literally, at this, men feared Yahweh with great fear. These seasoned, rugged sailors, yes, they were afraid for the torrential rain and billowing waves, but when they fear most in this story is not uh, when the storm is raging. It's when the, the sea becomes calm. It's at that point they fear with great fear because they realize that Yahweh God is a living God, that God can control the elements, and they fear this God. And so they're converted. They offered sacrifice and made vows to him. 
And so many ways, these sailors do what Jonah is supposed to do, despite the fact that they knew so little of Yahweh God, despite the fact that Jonah actually had conversations with God, but these sailors saw very little of God, they do what Jonah is supposed to do. They're praying people. They respect life. They want to save life as much as they can. There are also people uh, who seem to be in tune with the spiritual side. Now, that doesn't mean that they were saved in the beginning, but it should have shamed Jonah, when the captain of that ship goes down to the uh, b- below the deck and says, Jonah, wake up and do put your faith to use, he should have w- w- woken up. He should have prayed to God. And in so many ways, the church needs to wake up in the same way. Because we're much like sleeping Jonah at the bottom of the deck, when everyone's crying out for help, when everyone's trying to do their best to save themselves and the world. There's a Mormon church nearby where I live, and I see these young Mormon missionaries go by. They worship a different God, don't they? Anybody who says Jesus plus or the Bible plus, well, that's a different God that we're talking about now. But they are this kind, smiley, obviously passionate about sharing their faith with others. And I think to myself, we need to be like that. We see in Hong Kong, many people who believe in different gods going out of their way to be kind, to be just, to create a just society. There are people who don't believe in God at all, who work and and, and live to create, uh, to to help, um, to create a better market environment to care for the poor, to work towards helping the refugees and asylum seekers in Hong Kong, trying to create, uh, trying to uh, take care of the environment around us when so many Christians are sleeping, when we're, when we're indifferent to the plight of the environment, of the poor, of the people around us. Captain of the ship came down and said, Cry! He cried out, do something, pray to your God. And, and as we see these people doing this, it must put us to shame. It must, it, it must, we need, it, it must be one of these warning calls that wake us up. Because for Christians, this relationship with God isn't just given for us, not just for us to be saved, but for us to be salt and light for the world. For the sake of the world, the church needs to wake up. But I don't want you to just go away thinking we need to do we need to we need to do better, that we need to be less hypocritical and we need to go out and do more. Because even if we tried super hard, even if we try to be good Christians in every way, that's not what makes us Christians. What makes us Christian, what makes us Christian is not what we have done, but what God has done. For us, and although we have so far focused on what Jonah, on Jonah and the sailors, the main character of the story is God, Yahweh God, and God acts in two ways, in two decisive ways in this story. In both ways, He sends things. The first time He acts is in verse four. He sends. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose. And because it was such a violent storm, 
And because it nearly killed everyone involved, it's easy to make, uh, easy, it's easy to mistake this storm for uh, God's judgment. But that's not the case. We'll see how the entire book of Jonah really is about God's mercy. How this storm, sending of God, uh, this storm is an act of mercy. He could have easily just destroyed Jonah. He could have easily have punished Jonah. Instead, he shakes the sea so that Jonah would be forced to pray to him. And that's what everybody else does. Everybody else prays and they, 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 they taste the fear of the Lord and turn to him. But Jonah is too stubborn to pray, to repent. And once again, at that point, at the end of uh, chapter 1, God could have chosen to destroy Jonah, but that's not what he does. When Jonah's thrown overboard, he sends another thing. He sends the great fish so that God, uh, Jonah, would have yet another chance to turn to him, to repent. The whole book of Jonah, as we will see, in this series, is about how God relentlessly pursues the lost. People who are lost in every way. The Ninevites, who, does not, who do not know Yahweh God. Um, to the sailors, but he's also concerned for that one person who doesn't think he's lost at all, Jonah. The rest of the story shows God's mercy towards the Gentiles, but also to his prophet, Jonah. How God, as Jonah runs away, God chases after him. You might know this poem, um, Francis Thompson's poem called Hound of Heaven. It starts out like this, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind in the midst of tears. I hid from him under running laughter. And the rest of the poem goes about how he found every way to flee from him and how God's love chased after him like a hound, like, like, a, like a hunting dog chases after a, 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 a rabbit. He goes and, he, and the, ed, the conclusion of the story is God gum, coming and saying, I, only I can love you. Only I... Uh, I uh, only I will be able to love the unlovable, the uh, you, and, the, uh, uh, and how he's now captured by this love. I know uh, that many of you are concerned uh, for your non-Christian family, mothers and fathers, uh, daughters, sons, friends, colleagues, aunties, uncles. I want you to know that God is pursuing them. He is he pursued the Ninevites. He pursued these sailors. He pursued Jonah. We know that that is true because we know the extent to which that God will go. God sent his son, Jesus, even though that meant his death. We know that he will do anything to save his people. So be comforted that, and know that that is true. But also, I want you to know that each one of you, God has relentlessly pursued you. That, that God's love has pursued you. That you are loved really beyond your imagination. And I think knowing this love, really, knowing this love, only knowing this love will transform us. Only knowing this love will change us. You know, healthy sense of awe and this fear of God will get us to a point. 
And that's true. And we need that sense of awe and sense of fear. But, as we'll see next week, when Jonah tasted this mercy, this love of God, he's transformed, he's changed in a way that fear couldn't. And when we daily feast, when we daily remind ourselves of this love for us, we too will be changed. When we realize how this God who is entirely holy, terrifyingly so, has come down and died for us, took the punishment that we deserve, and made us his own, when we feast on that love, we'll be changed. We'll become a kind of people We'll sacrifice. We'll sacrifice things, but it won't feel like a sacrifice because we will know that God has given us himself and in himself everything. We'll also be the kind of people whose actions and our professions match. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we love God. We love, we know God's love for us. But we need help. So as we end, why don't we pray? Let's pray that God will send his spirit, that he will help us feast on his love for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, Lord, we thank you so much for your love for each one of us. We thank you that you have chased after us. We thank you that you have given your life for us. But Lord, we pray that you will send us your spirit. You will fill us with your spirit. Help us to be aware of who you are. Help us to be amazed and um, be in awe of you. Help us to have that sense of fear. But Lord, also help us to know how much we're loved. And we pray that in our daily life that we'll be reminded of your great love for each one of us. And as we realize this love, as we meditate on this love, and as, we, uh, as this love that's in, uh, that, that we know in our heads will sink down into our hearts, Lord, that that love will transform us. And we thank you that you are a merciful God who gives us chance after second chance after one after another and we pray that those of us who are running away from you will turn to you and those of us who have accepted this love but have forgotten it and we pray that your love in us will um, grow deeper that our love for you in as a result will grow deeper we give ourselves over to you this week in jesus name we pray amen